Well, I want you to think for a second. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? Think about that for a moment. What comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? Uh, maybe you think about something patriotic like the American flag or the 4th of July. Maybe you think about our, our freedom of speech or the freedom that we have to gather them every single week as the church to worship together and to hear from God's word. I want to change the question just a little bit. What comes to mind when you hear that someone has become a free person? What comes to mind when you hear that someone has become a free person? I I think many of us would probably think about someone who's recently gotten out of jail or, or prison. So they're now free, right? They're a free person. They're free to join the rest of society. Being a free person has meant different things in my life over the years. I think the first thing that comes to mind has to be when I was in elementary, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, my dad got me my first dirt bike, and uh, you're seeing where this is going, freedom. And uh, so it was an early 80s Yamaha YZ80, all right? It was a two-stroke. So this thing was loud, all right? We had an open field behind our house. Anytime we went back there, my dad was teaching me how to ride it. Everybody in the neighborhood could probably hear this thing. It had a metal tank on it, all right? And so this is before they they'd kind of changed the design of them. It was kind of old school, but it was cool. And uh, I remember we got it from a buddy. His name was Jake. I went to school with him and so there was a little bit of freedom in that. You know, I learned to ride it, and, and just that first time that I took off on my own, I revved the engine and let the clutch out and just kind of took off. Man, it was awesome. It was so cool. Now, the other side of that is we, we moved in seventh grade from North Oklahoma City to South Oklahoma City, and I had a, a buddy. His name was Jason, and uh, I think he tried to get freedom a little too quickly, and uh, so he didn't want to go through all of the, uh, the time that it takes to learn how to ride a dirt bike. He thought he could just hop on it and go, all right? So we kind of know where this is going as well. He jumps on it, revs the engine, pops the clutch as fast as he can, and the dirt bike took out from underneath him, ran it right into a fence. And uh, so that's what I think about when I think about being a free person. You know, mine was a positive experience, his not so much. I also think about later in life when I moved out and went to college, you know, for the first time, kind of having some of the freedoms uh, as, as an adult, you know, you didn't have to have a bedtime that your parents set. Um, I could basically go where anywhere I wanted to go, do anything I wanted to do. And uh, it, was, it was a fun time. You know, it was a time to kind of grow and, uh, and be stretched a little bit. These are all different scenarios, but they have one thing in common, and that's, that's freedom. And I think this morning, every person here would agree that freedom is a good thing, Right? Freedom's a good thing. Well, freedom is a main theme throughout the book of Galatians. In fact, many people refer to Galatians as the gospel of freedom. When people read Galatians, that's, that's what comes to mind. A lot of people also think about Galatians as the Christian's declaration of freedom. But the question has to be asked, what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to live free in Christ In this series, we've talked a lot about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, sets us free from sin. It sets us free from the law and how we're set free with a purpose and for a purpose. And as we're going to see in the last two chapters of Galatians, Galatians 5 and 6, Paul's understanding of freedom is quite different from how we would understand freedom in our day to day. I don't think Paul was thinking about when he learned how to ride a dirt bike or when he went to college. There's, there's a little different meaning behind the word freedom. 
See, freedom in Christ has so much more to do with what we ought to do as Christians, as opposed to having freedom to do whatever we want to do. And as we're going to talk about today, the key to Christian freedom has everything to do with who it is who's leading our lives. The Apostle Paul has spent the first four chapters of this book or this letter reminding Christians in Galatia about how Christ's death on the cross has won for us a new kind of relationship with God. It was one that many of the Jewish Christians in Paul's day didn't quite understand. And because of that, they were living out their faith not in a healthy way. Paul's made it clear that Christians are now free from having to follow Jewish law or religious rituals in order to follow Jesus. You see, many of the Jewish Christians in Paul's day, they wanted to require all of these things for someone to be saved and to be a follower of Jesus. But we, we've learned through Galatians and throughout the rest of the New Testament, requiring these things would deny the truth and the heart of the gospel message, as well as what it means to live free in Christ. You see, the true gospel message teaches that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law, not by trying to be a good person or doing a bunch of good work, saying all the right things. That's not what makes us a follower of Christ. So today we're going to spend some time unpacking the truth of what it means to be set free, truly, so that we can live free in Christ. So a word that we continually see throughout the book of Galatians is this word freedom. That's been central to to our study over the past five weeks. So I thought I'd give us a definition this morning for what Christian freedom really is. So that when we see this word show up time and time again, we'll know exactly what Paul is talking about. And this is also going to help us begin to connect the dots from Galatians 1, Galatians 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. So this is my own words but I think it's, I believe it's accurate. I believe it's, it's sound with everything that we see in Galatians. So here's my definition for Christian freedom. And that is that Christian freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want to do. But rather freedom to do what we ought to do. Let me, let me say that again. Christian freedom is not freedom to do what we want to do. That's not what it means to be free in Christ. But rather freedom to do what we ought to do. In other words, because we're free in Christ, if you're in Christ today, if you know Jesus, we're free to live a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, not controlled by our sinful nature or a life lived under the law, trying to to do all the right things or say all the right things. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's look together at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. Now, verse 13, I see this really as a transitional verse between the first part of Galatians 5 and the second part of Galatians 5, which is what we're going to talk about today. So these first few verses, as well as the first point that we're going to talk about, um, really has more to do with that first part of Galatians 5, but it transitions us so that we know exactly what Paul is talking about for the lesson today. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, this is what we read. For you have been called to live in, what's the word? Freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor 
as yourself. The first point that we're going to talk about today, and and again, it's more of a transitional point between this first half of Galatians 5 is this. um, Love in the heart is God's substitute for law. Love in the heart is God's substitute for law. So I've noticed that it's common in our American churches for people to go towards one of two extremes when it comes to the freedom that we have in Christ. So when, when, we're, when we're in Christ, we know Jesus, I think it's very common for people to go to one of two extremes. So the first extreme we've talked about a lot in this series. So one person, they might read about how we're called to live as Christians or the behavior that God expects, and they'll equate that, that expectation that God has to legalism. We've talked a whole lot about legalism. Legalism is working within our own power to earn God's favor. So the legalist would look at Christ's work on the cross, and they would say, you know, I love Jesus, and I believe that they do. They love what he's done on their behalf, but they also try to add things to the gospel to fit their own agenda. They try to add things to what church is supposed to be and what what it means to maybe participate with the body of Christ, what it means to be a Christian. They add things to this. So that's, that's the legalist perspective on one end of the spectrum. The other end, another person might read about God's grace and the freedom that we have in Christ, and then they will equate that freedom to the word license. So on, on one hand, you have legalism, and on the total opposite end of the spectrum, you have what we call license. License says that because of God's grace, I can live however I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. And I would say this morning that both of these extremes are wrong. Legalism is wrong. License is wrong. So at this point in Galatians, it's no secret that God has called us to be a free people. Paul makes this truth extremely clear in the first four chapters of Galatians. In Christ, we are free. Amen? We're free. We're, we're free from the guilt of sin because we've received God's grace and forgiveness in our lives. We're free from the penalty of sin because of Christ's work on the cross. It's because of what he's done, not because of what we've done. And we're free from the power that sin once had over our daily lives because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about this amazing truth throughout the, the message today. But we're also free from the law, free from having to religiously follow its demands because Christ ended the law's original purpose when he went to the cross. And there's so much confusion in the church these days about what's the purpose of the law. Should we still follow the law? But without getting too deep into that today, because we've already, we've already spent some time with that, I would say this. That, that Christ did end the law's original purpose when he went to the cross. The law no longer serves the same purpose that it once had. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today as well. So legalism is, is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. It's something that will, if it comes into the church, it can tear a church apart because then it becomes all about my wants and my needs and what I want. And the legalists will often point out other people's faults as well without looking inwardly. But Paul is reminding the Christians in Galatia, and us as well today, that there's another danger that we often allow into our churches, and that's the danger of license. Because of God's grace, I can just live however I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. 
See, there's a danger in changing God's grace into license to do whatever we want to do and then calling it freedom. And even though God's grace is perfect, and it is, and God's grace is always available, it's not a license for us to live however we want to live. That's not what Christian freedom is about. So Paul's caution in these first few verses, it highlights a very important truth for us. He doesn't just caution his readers about misusing God's grace. He also gives us the practical application for how we should live if we're in Christ. And that's really the last two chapters of Galatians is that practical application. Now that you've been set free to live free in Christ, here's how we're called to live. Here's what that freedom really looks like and what it really means. Paul is saying that our Christian freedom is not a license to do whatever we want to do. But hear this. Our Christian freedom is an opportunity to serve. Our Christian freedom is not a license to do whatever we want to do. Our freedom in Christ is an opportunity to serve. That's what freedom in Christ is all about. It's about serving God and serving others. If you go back to Galatians 5.13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. And then listen to this. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You see that? There's three key words here that Paul gives us. The word freedom, the word love, and the word serve. We see that over and over again. And I believe in Galatians 5.13, Paul is giving us a formula. He's giving us an equation. He's saying freedom plus love equals serving. Freedom plus love equals serving. So he's saying, by love, serve one another. Here's the thing. That's how you know you're free. By love, serve one another. That's how you know that you're free. But there's, there's also an equation I think we can write down because of what Paul says, and that is that freedom minus love equals legalism or license. Hear this this morning, church. If, if our freedom in Christ is lived out with the absence of love, specifically in how we serve others, we're going to be led towards legalism or license. Because when we're not serving God and we're not serving others, then who is it about? It's about me. I see this making its way into the American church so fast. We say we love Jesus. But then it stops there. It's, it's that, that freedom that we claim. And it's lived out with the absence of love. And when there's no love because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, there's no serving. We don't serve God or serve others. We end up serving ourselves. And then our gatherings become all about us. The way we spend our money in the church becomes all about us. That, that's what Paul is saying. And this is a very difficult thing because this causes us to look inwardly. It doesn't cause us to look around at other people. It causes us to look inwardly. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know that you are a disciple of Jesus if you have love for one another. And we know that that kind of love that, that Paul is talking about in the letters to the churches and that John is talking about isn't the kind of love that's just rooted in feelings. It's not just, oh, I love you. 
It's nice to see you today. Give me a hug, I've missed you. You know, it's not that kind of love. The kind of love that he's talking about is a love that's demonstrated through action. It's a kind of love that's demonstrated in how we serve others. So I have a personal story that might illustrate this a little bit. And I asked my wife per, for permission this week. I don't always do that. So Friday, Friday's my day off. The way that our schedule is worked, it just it falls on Friday. And because it's our day off, we try to spend that time as a family. And we typically guard that day. Like that's the one day during the week. Unless it's an absolute emergency, we just try to guard that day. And, and we try to unplug from church stuff and unplug from stuff in the world. We just spend time together. Now my wife's idea of what our day off should look like sometimes is a little different than how I would view what our day off should look like. Here's what I mean. So in an ideal world, all right, my day off would look like me just vegging on the couch, eating some good food, wrestling the boys on my terms (laughs) when I'm ready. (laughs) Watching a good movie, man, I could just watch a movie all day long, just one after another, watching a good movie. And this is in no particular order. And my wife absolutely loves to do those things, and she loves to do those things with me. But her day off is usually spent a little differently. Her, her day off is usually spent serving her family. Uh, she has said so many times over the years, I can't even count, how she loves to cook and care for her boys. I get to be one of her boys. <laughs> And I would say while most people view a day off as a license, maybe for laziness, my wife uses it as an opportunity to serve, to serve her family. Now, here's, here's the, the deal. You might think, man, how are you treating your wife? <laughs> There's no law. There's no rule that says that she has to do these things. Nobody's holding her feet to the fire and saying, do these things. I believe that love has replaced law in her heart and it leads her to serve others. Paul is saying that freedom plus love equals serving. By by love, serve one another. That's how you know that you're free. Now, is it okay to be lazy and, you know, take a day off? Absolutely. (laughs) I'm an advocate for that. We, we need to recharge. I can't tell you, when I get you know, an extra day to just recharge, I mean, you, you guys know. You know what that does for you. It just kind of gives you a little bit more fuel in the tank. I'm not saying that's bad. But what I am saying is that our freedom in Christ should, should lead to serving others. And oftentimes, it's when we really don't want to do that that we should. My wife uses her Christian liberty or her freedom in Christ to serve others because love has replaced law in her heart. Love in the heart is God's substitute for law. The second point that we're going to talk about today is this, that um, God wants his spirit to lead us. God wants his spirit to lead us. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 says, says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And then listen to what Paul says right here. These two forces, our our sin nature and the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. In verse 18 he says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. See, when a person believes in Jesus and is baptized into Christ, God's word tells us that that person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 tells us that. If you go to the book of John chapter 16, we read about how Jesus told his disciples when he was face to face with them, he said, it's better that, that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The Holy Spirit won't come. Imagine physically being in the presence of Jesus maybe upwards of three years, doing ministry with him, seeing him, and then Jesus says, it's actually better that I leave. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The Holy Spirit won't come. I don't know that I would understand that. I don't think the disciples understood that. See, God the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. He convicts us of sin. And that's one reason why the law no longer serves the same purpose that it had. In the Old Testament, the law acted as our guide. It would reveal sin in our lives and point people back to Jesus. But now the Holy Spirit lives in every follower of Jesus. That's his job. He convicts us of sin. He points us to God. He also comforts us when we need comforting. He teaches us through his word. The Holy Spirit prays for us. He encourages us. And he guides our lives. When we follow the Spirit's leading in our lives, Scripture tells us that we we won't give in to what our sinful nature desires. Another way you could say this is like this. When God is first in our lives, His desires become our desires. When God is first in our lives, His desires become our desires. See, Scripture teaches us that we all have a sin nature. And our sinful nature wants to do evil. It wants to do things that are opposed and opposite to God's will, opposite to God's design. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it reminds us that living contrary to God's design is what comes natural for all of us. When we're led by God's Spirit, we're given a new desire, a desire to live in step with God's design for our lives. See, Paul reminds us that our sin nature and the spirits leading in our lives are constantly opposed to one another. They're constantly fighting one another. And this this doesn't change when you become a follower of Jesus. You still have a sin nature. The Holy Spirit's leading in your life and your sin nature are constantly at war with one another. This is the struggle that Paul faced He's got a a lengthy passage of scripture in the New Testament that talks about how he knows what's right. He wants to do what's right, but he just can't seem to do it. It doesn't stop when you become a follower of, of Jesus. It's a struggle that every single person here this morning faces in your Christian walk. That struggle to to give your life to to the Lord and be led by the Holy Spirit or to give in to your sinful nature. Paul says multiple times in this passage and multiple times throughout the New Testament, he says, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. The Greek word that's used for led, 
So be led by the Spirit. It implies an active, personal involvement by the Holy Spirit in guiding our steps. It's an intimate relationship. That every step we take, it's not our own, but that we're being led by the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's giving up the driver's seat and saying, I'm no longer the one who leads. God is. It's also a verb, that that word led, it's a verb that in the present tense in the Greek, it indicates the Spirit's ongoing and continuous activity in our lives. What Paul is saying in this passage is is that our, our freedom in Christ should never lead to license, which is living our lives how we want to live. He's saying in Christ, you don't get to just live however you want to live because here's the thing, you're not really in control anymore. At least you shouldn't be. Instead, our freedom in Christ should lead to a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, one that desires to do good works for the glory of God, and one that is motivated by love. Amen? God wants his spirit to lead us. The third point this morning is this, that a life led by the spirit is marked by certain characteristics. A life that is led by the spirit is marked by by certain characteristics. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. This is what we read. And this section is going to be broken up into two parts, and you'll see why. So starting in verse 19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature. So Paul's bringing this up over and over again. This is a serious thing. Sinful nature isn't just something that he mentions once and then moves on. I mean, this is ongoing. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So this is what a life looks like that is led by our sinful nature. When we give in to our own sinful nature. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. Then it kind of shifts and starts talking about maybe our relationship with one another. Hostility. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. That's that legalism and that license. It's got to be my way. I want it my way. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then listen to what Paul says. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's getting pretty serious. And then there's the word but. I like that word. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, there is no law against these things. See, when we follow the desires of our sinful nature and we're not led by the Holy Spirit as our guide, the results are private and public struggles and sin. It was author uh, Warren Wearsby. He calls the first half of this list the ugly works of the flesh. It's the ugly works of the flesh. And there are similar lists that are given to us in the book of Mark chapter 7, in Romans 1, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 3. This isn't the only place that we see this. 
And we're not going to break this down this morning because I would like to have another message at some point that goes through and, and goes a little deeper with these things. But it's important to notice that the ugly works of the flesh that Paul talks about, it can be divided into three main categories. Category number one, this is probably the most uncomfortable for most people, and that is the sensual sins. Adultery, impurity, lust. The second category that we see is idolatry. That's different from adultery. So you have adultery and then idolatry. Idolatry is simply putting things ahead of God and in front of other people. So we know that we're called to love God, to love people, to worship God, to use the things that God has given us for his glory and for the good of other people. But far too often, we use people, we love self, we use the things that God has given us for our own benefit instead of the benefit of others. We worship things and then we end up leaving God completely out of the picture. That's idolatry. And then the third category is what we call social sins. This is with our relationships with one another. It's living in a way that tears other people down instead of encouraging them, instead of building others up. I'm guilty of this. I I know that you are as well. See, Paul's reminding the church that these aren't the characteristics that we're to be known for. This isn't how God has called us to live. And he goes on to say, and probably one of the hardest uh, portions of a verse in this whole text, he goes on to say that any person who practices living this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? I believe that Paul is talking about the, the act of maybe a single sin or something that, that you're struggling with. Or, or he's, he's not talking about the act of, of a single sin. He's talking about the, the habit of sin in our lives. So when he's saying a person who practices living this way will not inherit the kingdom of God, I believe Paul's talking about the habit of unrepented sin in our lives. We, we fail. We all mess up. Every, every person here, there's not a perfect person here today. And that's where God's grace, his faithfulness and forgiveness comes in when we have a repentant heart. But when any of these things that Paul lists and more become habit in our lives and there's no repentance that follows, that's asking God for forgiveness, the help to to help us turn a 180 in our lives. That's what Paul's talking about when he says anyone living this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's that ongoing sin habit that is not followed with repentance, true repentance, and completely turning away from it. Not because of anything we can do, but because of the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. See, when we're, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we see what we, what we see in Galatians 5, and 23. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. See, church, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, when we're in step with God's leading in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives. Now, here's where I've heard this preached in totally the wrong way before. I've heard people say, okay, this is the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think about what areas of your life that you could have some growth in, and I want you to go out this week and work on these things, as if this has anything to do with me. Here's what we have to understand this morning. 
The characteristics that Paul lists here, the fruit of the Spirit, these are evidence of someone being born again and living their lives for Jesus. The the legalists would look at this list and, and say, here's where I'm doing great and here's where others are doing wrong. But it's important for us to understand that this is not a list of works. It's not a list of something that you can just decide, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to be more kind or more patient or it's not talking about the works of those things. See, works talk about uh, effort and and labor and and strain. We we make a, a a a mental decision to do these things. But when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, specifically here, we're talking more about our dependency on God and the unfolding of life in our lives. Here's what I mean by that. See, a machine in a factory uh, can work and turn out product. A machine can, can work and turn out product, but it could never manufacture or produce living fruit. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit produces living fruit in our lives. And this fruit is able to produce more and more good fruit for Jesus. In fact, God's word talks about all kinds of fruit. Anytime someone is one to Christ, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 13 talks about that's, that's an evidence of fruit. Uh, it does talk about good works being a, a type of fruit. And praise, anytime the church comes together and we, we praise God for who he is and what he's accomplished on the cross, Hebrews 13 talks about that's, that's a type of fruit. But here, the fruit of the spirit that's listed in Galatians 5 has to do with one word, and that's character. These are character traits. See, it's the, the Holy Spirit leading us and growing us into the people that God has called us to be. A life that's led by the Holy Spirit is marked by certain characteristics. And instead of displaying the habits, patterns, and behaviors that look like the rest of the world around us, we increasingly display character traits that point people back to God. And these these characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, are characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. I believe that God wants to help every single person here develop these character traits in their lives. The fourth and final point, and this is a shorter one, is this. A life led by the Spirit puts to death what is evil. A life led by the Spirit puts to death what is evil. Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25 says, Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul brings this section of Galatians together by reminding us about the main truth behind what it means to be free in Christ. We've talked about freedom has more to do with what we ought to do as Christians, as opposed to doing whatever we want to do. And that is certainly true. But the key to Christian freedom has everything to do with who is leading our lives. Am I living a life that's led by my own sinful nature? Or am I living a life that is led by the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in step with the Spirit? Am I giving God access to every single part of my life? 
See, when Paul affirms that we've been crucified with Christ, that includes our sinful, fleshy desires. He says we're now free to live by faith and live a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. I believe that God wants us to be set free so that we can live free in Christ. But in order for us to live free in Christ, we have to willingly turn from sin and willingly nail our sinful nature to the cross. This doesn't mean that we're never going to sin. This doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up. I mean, as Christians, we are not perfect, and we still have the capacity to sin. We still are going to mess up. But in Christ, you are no longer under the authority of sin. You have set, you've been set free from the power of sin, and we no longer have to give in to it. We live under the authority of a risen king. Amen? And Paul says that we should daily commit our sinful nature to God's control, daily crucify our sinful tendencies there, and daily allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. I want to end with a verse from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's kind of the main verse in the book of Galatians. It's the one that most people know, but I think it's appropriate for what we've talked about today. Paul says, my, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. God wants his spirit to lead our lives. We know that our sinful nature and God's leading are are always opposed to each other. There's going to be a conflict there, but we have to daily crucify that sinful nature and trust God's leading in our lives. And a life led by the Spirit is marked by certain characteristics. We see the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's like a machine in a factory. It can produce a product, but it can't produce living fruit. And that's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs in our life is to produce that living fruit, those character traits that glorify God. And a life led by the Spirit puts to death what is evil. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me.